as I will often tell my students, you can be winsome and gentle and respectful and you can still be put on a cross. Those are necessary, but those are not sufficient to overcome the possibility of cultural hostility. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here once again with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Regular co-hosts, how are you doing today? Excellent. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. And we're excited this week to welcome a special guest to the show, Dr. Andrew Walker, who is Associate Professor of Christian Ethics and Associate Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary right here in Louisville, Kentucky. Andrew, welcome to Stand Firm. Hey, guys. It's great to be with you all. Thanks for the invitation. That's our pleasure. Uh, we have been talking actually about the SBC a lot recently on this show, uh, the annual meeting you had recently. We we're talking some about it in the run-up. Uh, this is a meeting that you attended in person and even offered a resolution for consideration by the messengers. Uh, we talked about it in the aftermath as well. The ACNA, our denomination, is dealing, though perhaps at different points, uh, with some of the same issues that came to the fore during this annual meeting. But we've been talking about the SBC as outsiders, sure. albeit very interested ones. Uh, so we wanted to talk to an insider and see what he thinks uh, so I'm sure we'll talk about specific issues, including your resolution. But before we do that, uh, why don't you tell our listener about what an SBC annual meeting is like? What is it? What is the church, this convictionally congregational church, trying yeah. to accomplish with such a meeting? Yeah, that's a really good question because there's so much confusion around the polity of the SBC. And, you know, in all actuality, the Southern Baptist Convention only exists two days out of the year when it's gaveled into session. So that's that's a Tuesday and a Wednesday, usually the second week of June. Uh, and so, you know, 363 days a year, the operations of the Southern Baptist Convention are kind of done what we would call ad interim with this designated body called the Executive Committee, um, which basically is does not really have a lot of power per se, but the executive committee kind of does the work of the messengers and does the does the business that the messengers have voted on throughout the rest of the year. So as far as distributing the monies that the messengers voted on, that's what they're overseeing. Um, and so obviously, I mean, there are out of the executive committee, there are committees that are formed that have... Um, like trust uh, the committee on committees, which then has <laughs> tremendous, you're right. The committee on committees, leave it to Baptist to have these types of committee names. Oh no, we um, Anglicans do that. Oh, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, you know, th at the big picture though, at the SBC, it's, it's a much more democratic polity, which is what, you know, sets the Baptist tradition off from something like, uh, within at least in Protestant circles, from Anglin Anglicans or Presbyterians, is that authority resides in each individual congregation. E one congregation cannot tell another congregation what to do, and in reality, the executive committee can have its own criteria for what you know friendly cooperation can entail, and we can discuss some of that because that's where a lot of the yeah. discussion was happening. But like really. Churches are free to either affiliate 
with us or not. Now, if they take certain steps, we can basically say, well, you're no longer in friendly cooperation with us, but you can still go down the path of error if you want. We just no longer have to recognize you as, as faithfully cooperating with us. So yeah, two days in June, I liken it to a big family reunion. Um, I, I kind of got conferenced out in my younger days of going to like TGC and T4G and I, you know, God love all those conferences. I'm for those. Uh, but like, I, it was kind of the same thing every year. And I, perhaps you can say the SBC is the same thing every year, but there's something about the SBC where, you know, we are the largest Protestant denomination. Um, but it's still, it's still, you know, a pretty small, intimate network of churches and associations and entities and friends along the way. And so I really love going to the SBC annually because it's a time to reconnect with friends who I went to seminary with starting in 2008 and are now, you know, somewhere else across the country. So it's a, it's a joyous time. It's a pretty raucous time as well uh, because Every messenger has all the same rights to go to the microphone and make whatever motions they could possibly um, could could think up. Now, obviously, they, they don't have to necessarily get acted upon, but you can say some crazy stuff from the floor of the SBC um, with great impunity. And so that kind of adds to the wild, wild west notion of the SBC. Can I, can I ask it? So it, it has... Maybe it's just because I've, I've been ignorant of past meetings. That's but likely. It does seem like That's the likely. last two or three have been pretty have been pretty fraught. Is that is that is that new, or has there always been that kind of controversy? Is just it's just that uh, now it's the, the the spotlight's on it more. Yeah, because what was it was Amendment Nine or something like this, or the amendment the the intersection Resolution Nine back in Resolution Nine. Yeah. yeah, that's we were talking about that even back then. Um, yeah, so I mean, I would say. Um, you know, with con- we didn't have the convention in 20 because of COVID, but 21, 22, 23, they, those have all been conventions that have had more um, light on them than in years past. And I think a little bit of that is because, I mean, I don't know if there's one single reason, but I think in large part, the SBC kind of the the mentality to attend the meeting, it kind of began to wane in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I think the reason I would explain that is because the conservatives won the denomination. And so the conservatives were in control. And so there was really less need to like have to show up and invest a lot of time and energy when you could just reliably trust that the conservatives were in control. And so, you know, there were years in the 2000s or in the earlier 2000s where there were some pretty small annual conventions. And now they've begun to really kind of pick up with some controversies, rather, whether manufactured or real, it has gotten more more attention. And so the, the numbers at the conventions have dramatically increased. And in fact, it's one of the reasons we were in New Orleans this year, uh, because you know, th- these these locations are planned out years in advance. I think something like five years in advance, perhaps. And so we were supposed to be in Charlotte, but the venue at Charlotte was not projected to hold the sufficient uh, uh, space for what the numbers would be. So we had to change it last minute. So, but yeah, to your, to your, your question, Matt, uh, I would say generally there has been more uh, attention over the last two or three years. 
I mean, I think uh, coming out of our, the, all the controversy in the Episcopal Church in the early 2000s, I remember thinking, man, you know, if, if only we were as faithful as the Baptists, we, we wouldn't have these problems. And then, and then I, I never thought, I mean, in those days, I never thought that the kind of arguments, it seems like from the outset right. anyway, you guys are having would be had. Yeah, There's that's a, a good lot question. Of language. Yeah. Yeah, so here's how I would put it, and, and I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back here as though to say the SBC's got this all figured out. We're having some debates, but I think that these debates that some of us are having are, you know, they're, they're debates that you could liken to having a cold. And is it a severe cold or a light cold? But we're not having debates that would be, you know, relevant to a terminal disease that has been, um, or there's not gangrene so to speak. So, you know, and again, I want to emphasize, we're not perfect, but, you know, we are a denomination that is not debating at all the LGBT question like that. That's just, I can't even tell you there are, there's virtually no way to get a unanimous thing at the SBC, um, except for a resolution like the one Denny Burke and I authored. So on those types of issues, there's absolute, um, unanimity and, and praise the Lord for that. And yeah. and contrary to what some of the media portrayals would be, what would say, the SBC is is stalwartly complementarian. Yeah. What happened at this year's convention was really a question of of how were we going to manifest our complementarian convictions, right? Um, because you'll have some you'll have some folks who would disagree with the law amendment that I voted for. But if you disagree with the law amendment, that doesn't mean that you're sympathetic with egalitarianism at all. And, and we should be very clear about that. It, it merely means that you're wanting to deal with things in a different procedural manner. Could it's you explain not a lot that you're, in the amendment? Yeah, go ahead. Could you explain the, the amendment so everyone our hearers know what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So there was this um, issue that came to the surface um, by a pastor in the D.C. area named Mike Law, and he was concerned about what he saw as there are uh, I forget the exact num number, like well over a hundred churches in the SBC where there is a woman on staff with the title of pastor in her title. And so the argument, and I think that this is inferred from the Baptist faith and message that the office of, you know, the, the language is the office of pastor is reserved for men, but there's wiggle room around that. Well, does that apply just to the senior pastor or does that apply to lower level pastors who aren't the senior level yeah, but like still like the, the custodial pastor or the right. uh, left-handed toddler pastor i mean have you have nick was pointing out there's so many uses of the word pastor in many churches that it, i could see why there need to be some clarification which which yeah. i'll have given yeah so um this this pastor friend he put this forward to basically say to to specifically enumerate in our in our constitution that Right now we have, you know, if you're practicing racism, you're defending abusers, uh, you're supporting um, homosexuality, those are like clear markers for disfellowshipping. And so now we're, we're the next year we'll vote on this because it takes two years of two thirds to, to ratify this. So next year in Annapolis, if we vote on the law amendment, it will add, um, if you have uh, I forget the exact language, but effectively, if you have a woman on your staff who has the title of pastor, that would be grounds for not in friendly cooperation. And mm -hmm. so 
Uh, and again, I want to stress though, uh, there, there is, I think so, so, so little energy for anything really recognizably egalitarian in the Southern Baptist convention, even the people who I would disagree with on some of the titling issues, no one in the SBC of any mainstream reputation would be arguing that we should have women senior pastors. That's just not happening in the SBC right now. Do you think even those who are who are kind of on uh, Rick Warren's side were they also? That's a good kind question. Of soft you know, complementarians, or were they? Or they? Do you think they were pushing full egalitarianism? Yeah, you know. So I I I, I disagree with Pastor Warren, and I don't want to say that I can fully characterize his own position, you know, and in all due respect to him, I'm not sure if he's consistent or aware of his own position because he seems to be in flux on the issue himself. Um, but Saddleback did take some steps that were very much pushing the boundaries in Southern Baptist life. And I think the fact that they were disfellowshipped with an 89% vote from the floor of the HBC goes to tell you where we are. So again, like, could you find some marginal exceptions? Sure. But 89%, that's yeah. that's more than a majority. And it's <laughs> Just, probably that's, only that's as... more than 51. And it's probably only as low as that because of what a behemoth culturally Saddleback is and Rick Warren is. The other churches that were disfellowshipped for similar reasons were not even that low. I mean, it was sort of like... Rick Warren against the SBC, and everybody has heard of Rick Warren, even those who haven't heard of the SBC. So the the fact that it was still such a clear word from the convention, I think, really holds a lot of weight. Yeah, well, and and I think that gets to, you know, I've been asked to kind of give my overall take on what happened at the SBC. I would call um, this year's convention a conservative reassertion. And so, you know, we have the language of the conservative resurgence that began in the 70s and 80s, kind of climatically came to a head by the mid 90s and was kind of over by then. Uh, and so the conservatives won the nomination. We, they won control of the entities. And so that's where you, you probably have that drop off of, of participation because the fight is over, so to speak. Um, and so now we're having these questions in light of you know, continued LGBT conflicts in culture, uh, having questions posed by the likes of people like Rick Warren. And, you know, the SBC came together, you know, these two days in June, and I think re-enshrined the principles of the conservative resurgence. And that's why I'm calling it a conservative reassertion. Do you um, think so? I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I forget where I read it, or I may have heard it. I was listening to a lot of things. But do you think that, well, correct me if I'm wrong first, there was a membership decline overall in the SBC over the past. And one of the arguments was made that it was because of this clarity that yeah. you are now showing that people who have, may have been sort of Baptist in name only, uh, or at least Southern Baptist in name only, are now finding what their actual convictions are and they're disagreeing and walking away, maybe to join a different Baptist denomination or maybe away entirely. And do you, do you think that that's an accurate assessment? Or, I mean, obviously you don't really know, but, but, it, sure. but I, you know, clarifying these things in this culture has proven to be quite a, um, well, a clarifying stage for a sure. step for many sure. people. Um, I mean, we found this out in the ACNA or we're finding it out. You know, when people finally understand the history 
and the core convictions and the founding sort of principles and documents of our church, uh, many people, not everyone, thank God, but many, particularly people who are new to the ACNA, find that quite um, shocking. And in some cases, um, so much so that they say, well, we're going to keep on moving. And, you know, most of us say, well, that's fine. You know, it's just unfortunate that you have to find out this way as since you're yeah. the senior warden um, <laughs> you know, at church, but, but, um, but better now than never. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts about that are. Or... Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot to attribute to that. One, potentially people may not like some of the perceived drama of the SBC. They don't like the conservatism of the SBC and they want out. Um, and to that, I would simply say, you know, if you're leaving voluntarily on your own terms because you're not on the same page, I respect that standpoint, and I wish you well in your journey, and I hope you stay faithful. Amen. Um, Amen. But, well said. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, I remember I had, I had a friend of mine who pastors uh, a large church in North Carolina, and after these numbers always come out from, you know, the the headlines from the various outlets, it's always like, Hey, we're going to dunk on the SBC because the fundies are losing their numbers. Uh, religions on the decline. You are a bunch of, you know, Trump voting morons and hypocrites and shame on you. You, you have this coming. Uh, well, so, you know, one pastor friend of mine pastors, a very large church and he put on Twitter, he's like, well, Hey everyone, you know, I know we just uh, lost more members, but I'm a part of the reason why we've lost more members because we've cleaned, we've cleaned the decks of our church roles uh, from people who are not active. And so we've right. we lost hundreds of people that we're no longer reporting in our annual church profile to the SBC because we're trying to practice regenerate church membership. Um, and so I'll be the first one to acknowledge there has been a trajectory or a, a trend in previous times to have kind of this you know, six flags over Jesus. We want the biggest, baddest, largest denominational apparatus we can have. And that can breed nominalism. It can breed a sense of, you know, cultural Christianity. And perhaps that's coming, you know, that's burning off a little bit. But we're also having churches just practice more meaningfully, meaningful discipleship and membership practices. So, at this point in my life, I have learned to believe neither total ascendancy narratives or total declension narratives, and to recognize that there is, at any given time, a mixture of good and bad in, in most situations. And I think that's reflected here uh, as well. I think that the main cultural at least the culturally antagonistic view of the SBC. We've already sort of alluded to the you don't affirm the ministry of women narrative, which I'd like to give you an opportunity to clarify the Southern Baptist yeah. actual valuation of the ministry you mean, of women. You mean the resolution we passed right. on commending women in ministry? Right. So there's that. <laughs> there's that, which I think we'd all like to hear about from you. And then there's the what the SBC is really all about is sheltering abusers and right. that those two things are what the cultural institutions that are aligned against you want the world to know about you. Right. So what's actually going on in these, in these, you know, secret cigar smoke filled what's, rooms, what are you guys doing to Baptists don't smoke cigars? Oh, that's true. Smoke cigars. <laughs> they certainly smoke cigars. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, Spurgeon. Yeah, Spurgeon smokes cigars. That's right. So, so here's what I would hand. say. I can verify that firsthand. I'm one of those cigars. 
we we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, amen. and you saw that happen at the convention when we disfellowshipped a church that was, and I'm not clear of all the details. Let me be honest. That they had reportedly been very slow to deal with abuse in their ranks, um, and so the it was like a 90 or 91 percent vote to disfellowship them. While at the same time, we voted overwhelmingly for the law amendment. Um, we voted overwhelmingly. I mean, I, I would guessing again total uni, uh, unanimity here as well on a, a resolution affirming the role of women in the life of the church. And so this is just a consistent biblical ethic being worked out. And you have the detractors and you have Twitter who are saying, uh, you know, we want to protect abusers. And that's just like, well, that's just not true. We just ratified the continuing work of the abuse prevention task force to continue uh, thinking through issues and providing more resources for us. And we also just recommitted ourselves to our complementarian convictions. Meanwhile, we also disfellowshiped a church for abuse. And so anyone who would want to say that these actions are inconsistent with the other, I think doesn't understand the SBC and they don't know their Bibles because again, this is just a biblical consistent ethic. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Do you feel like part of the problem and we we sort of laughingly alluded to this a few minutes ago. I'd, I'd love to, though, actually um, talk more about it. Do you think the SBC has become part of its own problem, at least in the discussion of the Ministry of Women with its use of the word pastor for every possible role in the church? And And having said that, would it be okay for, say, a children's pastor who's a woman or a woman's pastor who's a woman to just change their title and is that really something that's okay for the future of the SBC yeah I mean I honestly um as 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 best as I understand the moment at, at hand we're not asking for individuals to to change their practices in the church insofar as you know women aren't regularly preaching I don't think right. that's the case that's happening anywhere in the SBC. Um, this is really a title change. I think it was a title change that shouldn't affect compensation, that shouldn't affect benefits. Um, this is really getting streamlined on title usage. And I think this is where, you know, just candidly, this is where there's the messiness of being a denomination as large as ours with an ecclesiology that lends itself to far more on the ground um, particularities that we don't, we don't go looking to Nashville for our marching orders. Um, and in fact, you know, just anecdotally, I remember when I worked at um, the ethics and religious liberty commission, you know, I accidentally said in a report somewhere that um, the SBC headquarters believes X, Y, or Z about marriage. And I remember we got like, we got blasted um, online and some letters that came in because pastors rightfully said, and I'm, I'm owning my mistake here, pastors rightfully said, the SBC isn't headquartered in Nashville. It's headquartered in the 45,000 churches that comprise the SBC. And I was like, that's right. And I'm never going to use the language of SBC headquarters because that does not abide with our ecclesiology. 
So it is interesting. It seems like there's like a there's a an exertion of some kind of authority. Like the SPC has a, the authority to say you're not in fellowship with us. Correct. Which is that's an authority derived from the the will of the messengers. Right. Right. Okay. That, that makes sense. I, I was just for our Anglican listeners. It's a little bit. Yeah. People have have been over the course of the last twenty years saying, well, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury doesn't have any power in our communion to to disfellowship anybody. So um, so we can't get angry with him for not taking action against the Episcopal Church. But he did have the uh, the power of invitation. Like he, he could invite the Episcopal Church to the various communion meetings or not. And he always chose to do it. Um, and so that was like it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a low threshold of power and authority. But it's, it's, it's authority. I mean, you can you can you can you can you can say this is within the, the boundaries of our church and this is not. And that sounds like what's happening at, in this SBC. Is that? Yeah, that's that's right. And yeah. I mean, so so take the law amendment question, for example, that's happening right now. The argument against the law amendment and this is a this is a respectful argument. Um, that I that I respect and people of goodwill could hold this is, you know, someone could say, well, this is this is superfluous. We don't need this because the credentials committee is already tasked with the ability to determine what is or is not friendly cooperation. That decision is then made uh, tentatively by the executive committee upon which the body can either vote to affirm or vote to not affirm. And so hypothetically, if we had churches right now, I'm trying to think of a, a, of a, if we had, this is a total hypothetical scenario. Okay. Work with me here. If we had a church that was denying the Trinity, like right now, denying the Trinity is not in our three stipulated categories of not in friendly cooperation. But if we had a pastor saying, Hey, I'm no longer a, a, a Trinitarian. Well, any church in the SBC could then go to the credentials committee and say, hey, we have a church here whose pastor and who, I guess, collectively, they're they're denying the Trinity. Um, we can't let this stand. And so then the, the, the credentials committee would say, well, that's actually a violation of the Baptist faith and message. Um, so we can vote to disfellowship you. You can appeal this, which is what Saddleback did. Um, but then the will of the body could vote to ratify or disagree with the executive committee. And so for, for me, the law amendment, the reason for voting for it is it just it just concretizes what is already a it's an abstract reality. I just want to put it down in writing to make things ever more clear. Right. I'm, but my, my tendency is always, you know, wherever we can get more confessional, I'm always going to argue for that than being less confessional. Uh, so to that end, it, correct me if I'm wrong again, because I've, I've been following this, but I may have missed this. But it was my understanding that that the Baptist faith, the message was amended during, at this convention, yeah, it, which is quite it, frightening if I were you, because that uh, I, mean, I know that it was voted on and everything. But that seems like, you know, every year you could be walking into a, a brand new church. Uh, yeah. So I, I'll be honest with you. That was the 
what just happened moment of the SEC. Yeah, when I heard, when I was listening along, I mean, to some of it, and when I heard that that was what the, they were like, hey, I think someone returned and were like, you know, the next vote is going to amend the Baptist faith and message, all in favor. And so I forget exactly how it happened. I was like, Wait, what? like oh, it was terrifying. The Nicene, the, the Nicene Creed's next. Um, I remember uh, that sitting there as much thinking, for y'all, but. Uh... I, I was sitting there thinking in the room, I was like, wait, what? Are, are we doing this? I, and I guess I'm thinking here, like, has no one tried to do this prior to? And I guess maybe they haven't. And thankfully, it's a change that I agree with. Right. Well, that's the for people, sure. All the people who are in favor of the of the change are all horrified at the ease at which that was done. And so I've had, you know, a buddy of mine, Denny Burke, he wrote a blog post saying that one of the things messengers need to do next year is to implement a process to make it more difficult to do that in, right. in years following. And I would be on the side that would say, like, I listen, I love the Baptist faith and message. It's a great big tent confessional document for a denomination like ours. It's very ample. It serves our interests. It, it allows us to cooperate together. And so because of that, it should be changed with incredible difficulty. Right. Uh, and so I would be entirely in favor of, putting into place whatever mechanisms are necessary to slow down the revision process. Cause that, yeah, that was, was yeah. that was horrifying. Everyone yeah, walked good. out of there mystified at what just transpired. Well, I'm glad it wasn't the only one um, and not the only one, obviously, but I mean, I think that was, that's a real clarity. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, doesn't it take like the equivalent of a constitutional convention to change our constitution? Yeah, like two thirds big... of the diocese have to vote over a yeah. period of years to change our yeah. constitution, which you know, two thirds of the diocese coming together over a number of years on a particular issue. By that point, you know, we might need to listen, but it's highly unlikely that on some of these, well, on some of the fundamental um, convictions that we're going to see change, which is one of the comforting things. I mean, just from our yeah. perspective. Yeah, we made it hard um, to change on purpose, right? Right. Yeah. right. yeah, that would be. So, yeah, I mean, we, if you want to, <laughs> we'll send you a copy of ours. Since <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'll, get, they'll get right on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> 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 You'll all be able to hit in heaven anyway. So I have a question. I grew up in Baton Rouge, and so we um, and my parents own a faithful Christian home, and so New Orleans was spoken about in hushed tones, um, you know, particularly as a youth, uh, as a place you should not even look back towards unless you turn into salt. <laughs> um, and, um, and so I just thought the juxtaposition of Pride Month and the SBC, you know, this enormous convention in downtown New Orleans with mm. uh, Pride Month was just – you know, it was just, uh, I mean, I don't know, it was, it was a, a delicious irony. I don't know. How well, I can, I can, I can one up that because I was informed by some friends of mine that had gotten to New Orleans the previous week and who were there all weekend that there had, in fact, been a naked pride parade uh, right near. We just call that Mardi Gras. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, no, that's, that's, right. Right. <laughs> that's right. And so, um, yeah, the juxtaposition of naked pride parades in one weekend and then Southern Baptist filling in the streets the next. Uh, th there's, there's your clash of orthodoxies. Yeah, one you, imagines that the, the bars took quite a hit. <laughs> the, the, the bars around there oh, were definitely took quite I'm, a hit that, uh, that week. <laughs> the I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. But the restaurants did well, I bet. Yes, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> we like to eat. Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about the resolution that you yeah. put forward and what, why you decided it needed to be done and yeah. how that went. Yeah. So uh, Denny Burke's one of my best friends. He's a uh, colleague and professor of mine of uh, Southern and, and Boyce here in town. And so uh, back in 2014, 
he and I authored the first resolution that came out from the SBC. It was called On Transgender Identity. And, you know, going backwards nine years, that seems just like nine years ago. But Denny and I were reflecting on, you know, how far the conversation has developed in nine years. And, and honestly, I think developed in a helpful way towards us than where we were in 2014. And that may not be the case at like, you know, the elite media entertainment level. But as far as what I detect as the growing cultural resistance to the trans movement, I see it everywhere. I see more questioning and more skepticism than I ever have previous. And so uh, Denny and I, I mean, there's really nothing overly novel about why we did what we did other than to observe and to highlight the fact that there is a growing body of concern and suspicion happening around, you know, so-called transition interventions with individuals as young as children, you know, up to, up to adulthood. And we're seeing more and more people come out of the woodwork, so to speak, talking about how transitioning didn't help them. In fact, it just kind of confirmed that their problems are, are not really a bodily, bodily issue. It's, it's a psychological issue. And so uh, Denny and I wanted to go on record and really be very clear on where the SBC stood on this, uh, but then also to call on lay Southern Baptists to be aware of this. And to the extent that you are cooperating in some way, um, whether you're working for an insurance company or working for a hospital and unknowingly facilitating this, these are things that need to be brought to your attention because we understand this as cooperating with a degree of evil. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I mentioned this previously. I didn't see a, when I was in the room for the vote, I didn't see a single hand go up in opposition to it. So if that gives you a sense of the unanimity on these issues, I, that it was a, a great moment of reassurance and calm. And, you know, a, a, anecdotally, I'll even say this, you know, I teach ethics at Southern Seminary and I get asked quite a bit, like, where, where are the students on all of the sexual revolution topics? And my response to people is to tell them, well, you should be nothing but encouraged because I have not yet had a single experience where a student is doubting or questioning or disbelieving what scripture teaches on this issue. Mm. And if anything, I think if you're an, if you're a student who's ending up at Southern Seminary, you didn't end up there by accident. And so again, I'm not likely to experience those types of students, but you have, you know, Southern Seminary is the largest Protestant seminary, I think in the United States, maybe the world. Um, the fact that you have those students coming to this institution and there's a, a total alignment as far as confession and students, student retention on these issues, it is a moment of great joy. I mean, I feel like right now we live in a moment in our culture and even in conservative evangelicalism, like where you can't celebrate wins, right? Because, you know, we are our worst enemy, everyone tells us, right? We deserve all of the things bad that's that's happening in evangelicalism. And no doubt there are some problems, but all in all, like I can look at certain things in the SBC and say, praise the Lord for 
the principles that were enshrined at the resurgence. And I mean, again, the resurgence was just, in my opinion, recapturing the doctrinal fidelity of the convention at its at its start. And we're now, I mean, inching towards 30 years uh, post post resurgence. And uh, I think that at the confessional level, the SBC is incredibly strong. And I think that this convention, again, it was a conservative reassertion of these resurgence principles. So um, within Anglicanism, of course, everybody in the ACNA, well, most people in the ACNA would say uh, we we are orthodox down the line. That question, the, the, the debate comes in sometimes with regard to revoice and the spiritual Pronoun hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Is, so is 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 that? I mean, and I've, I've noticed on Twitter, and I know Twitter is not reality; it's just Twitter. But I have noticed on Twitter that there are some Southern Baptists who do do tend to be pushing the revoice side of of this question. If you and if our people don't know, revoice is um, quote unquote side B organization, an mm-hmm. organization that is uh, that is embracing people identifying as gay or lesbian or trans while remaining. Uh, faithful, they they would claim faithful to the biblical uh, commands with regard to behavior. So they they can identify as gay, they just can't act out on, on yeah. those things. And and within Anglicanism, we've we've been uh, working against the revoiced and, and spiritual friendship movements for quite a while at Stand Firm. And so I, I have noticed some some arguments mm-hmm. online with, within the Southern Baptist realm. Is that is that a big thing, or is that just a Twitter thing? Yeah. No. Okay. So, so I, I got to plead some degree of ignorance because okay. I don't. I, maybe I'm not aware of those Twitter accounts okay, that right. you're referring to. Um, I can only speak to what Matt has all the screenshots. If you want, so. <laughs> I, I, I think I alphabetized can only... and colored, <laughs> and collated and everything. Right. Yeah. By level of heresy. That's right. Uh, so I can only speak to where I think I, I myself and colleagues and those with kind of some of the theological institutional vantage points would be on this issue. I think it's revoice is an absolute acid. uh, And I've written against it myself at the level of the seminaries. I don't know anyone who would be even sympathetic to the revoice conversation. Uh, So again, maybe there are some like SBC accounts that are out there that are waving the flag for revoice. Uh, It's not happening in my classroom and I don't think it's happening in other SBC classrooms as well. And so I, I would be, great. I mean, when, when it first came out, uh, their very first convention, I had a post at the ERLC's website expressing grave concern about the trajectory. And that's only been confirmed yeah. uh, as, as time has gone on. You said earlier that participating in the LGBTQ plus movement was participating with a kind of evil and that could be affecting more people than even they think if they're, like you said, working at an insurance company or a hospital, et cetera. I think that some people miss their potential participation in that by doing things like being hospitable to pronouns and identification. And I wondered if you would just sort of um, help our listener understand how that, how even that might be participating in this greater machine that's chewing people up. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're thinking about the pronoun issue, 
pronouns to me, I mean, language is attempting to name reality, right? Pronouns give the appearance of just being he or she, but in reality, he and she are cosmological binaries that speak to like the deepest levels of our differentiation. And so, yeah, I, I myself would never use someone's preferred pronoun. Um, I always recommend being evasive. And if you're really careful, you never have to use someone's pronoun either in their presence or away from their presence. And I, I, I would simply say this because one, I don't want to speak what is false Love rejoices in the truth, as scripture says. Uh, and I also don't want to perpetuate delusion and confusion and to confirm someone in what I think is a nefarious ideology. And listen, I am fully aware that that might get me some negative comments for taking or drawing a line right there. Uh, I'm all for being winsome. I'm all for being um, offering our language with gentleness and respect. Um, but as I will often tell my students, you can be winsome and gentle and respectful, and you can still be put on a cross. Those are necessary, but those are not sufficient to overcome the possibility of cultural hostility. And I think in this moment in particular, I, I think it's an apocryphal quote at this point. But, you know, Luther has this quote that, you know, it's it's where the battle rages, Right. where the loyalty of the soldier is proven. And if you flinch at that exact point where the devil is attacking, you haven't really fought. And so I just think of it as, as an opportunity to, again, let my yes be yes, my no be no. I don't have to be angry about it, but to say, no, I am drawing a line in the sand right here. Um, and I do think that, quite frankly, this is such uh, an insidious ideology that is devastating a whole generation of young people, especially that it should stiffen our spine to want to be even more clear on this issue mm -hmm. uh, than in times and then in times past where there was great motivation for wanting to be, you know, overly pastoral. And in fact, you know, I wrote a book on the transgender issue. And if I were, and if I were criticizing my own book, this is going to sound weird to say this, I would say, that my book is almost maybe too pastoral at times because I failed to grasp how ideology would be inflicted by elites and those in power on unwitting masses. And so, yeah, there are individuals who are struggling and who are challenging, and we do want to have compassion for them. Um, but there are also, you know, the hyenas and jackals of the sexual revolution and my response to them is going to be very, very different than it is to the 13-year-old the who is, in my opinion, a victim right. in this situation far more than they are a culprit, so to speak. Well, Andrew, I mean, I, I think you know, that was really well said. And, um, you know, as pastors uh, uh, who are watching the SBC, I can tell you, I speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure Matt and Nick, we breathe a real sigh of relief uh, to see um, that vote come down because, you know, it was a little bit seemingly because of all of the resources brought to bear on uh, by Saddleback, you know, it seemed like it was going to be closer than it was. And it was a real, it was a real encouraging uh, display, I can say, because yeah. I don't know what, 
you know, it's a little bit like if the Pope falls and if the SBC falls, it's like, you know, I know the Lord will still reign, but we'll feel a lot more alone uh, than we do at the moment. And so, you know, I'm just so grateful. I've been watching Southern Seminary in particular um, with leadership with Al since living in Louisville. But I remember with fondness, his that video on YouTube, you can see of him and his first chapel, sort of where he's getting, you know, lambasted by all of the progressives saying that they're going to, you know, get him out of here. And he's and yeah. I know he's just one man. But I'm grateful for all of you who have held firm in this area, because what you're going to see is an entire generation that has been lied to and abused and traumatized by this um, sexual revolution and this sort of debaucherous moral revolution are going to, when they get converted by God's mercy, come searching for people like you and institutions like Southern and probably churches like the Southern Baptist Convention who are um, offering uh, actual biblical grounded hope uh, in a way that they had never experienced before. And so I'm, you know, we're seeing a little bit in the ACNA, you know, we're seeing people who were brought up in wildly progressive um, lifestyles and or progressive churches, you know, find their way to the ACNA. And we're very grateful for that because they say this is the the type comfort and actual shepherding that we never received. And so we want to join with you, you know, and that's a great encouragement to us. We're kind of an incredibly small fish in uh, mm -hmm. in the ocean compared to you guys. But I can just say thank you for your leadership yeah. um, and your faithfulness. And we are grateful, grateful for y'all. Well, let me just say thank you to you all. Um, I have great affection and respect for the ACNA and am uh, just looking for opportunities to link arms uh, where we can around our shared convictions <clears throat> that are very important to us. And I think right now uh, allow us to stand against the world, but ultimately for the world. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you uh, to you, to our listener for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. A special thank you to Andrew Walker. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,